You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Welcome, open your Bibles if you haven't yet to the book of John. That's where we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, we've been slowly going through the book of John, and uh, we are up to the middle of this chapter. And we're going to look at just a handful of verses about Jesus walking on water. So that's the story that we're up to uh, this morning. And uh, I don't know if you've realized just how broadly this story has uh, sunk into our culture. Uh, I was thinking about this. I think if you could just pull average person on the street and uh, just talk with them about what miracles from the Bible that Jesus did that they knew of, even people who haven't gone to church, haven't read the Bible, I think this would be near the very top of the list, if not the top of the list if they're just trying to offhandedly say miracles that they knew Jesus did. I think one of the top ones would be that he walked on water. And um, part of what I think is is that it's just sunk into our culture in all sorts of different domains, this idea of walking on water. Uh, There is anything from, I'll give you two examples, in the scientific natural world, there is a lizard uh, that is called the basilisk lizard, I think is how you pronounce it, but it has received this nickname of being called the, which this is quasi-sacrilegious, I realize, but people call it the Jesus Christ lizard, and the reason that they do it, it's this little light lizard, and it can, if it's feeling attacked or something, or under threat from a predator, it can drop down onto a river, or a river bank, and it can, it has these legs that can, and big feet that can just motor really fast, and this thing can literally run across water uh, to get to the other side of the river and to get away from predators that cannot swim. And uh, so it's been nicknamed the Jesus Christ lizard uh, in the scientific world. And if you go to a totally different domain where there's uh, not a lot of overlap in this Venn diagram, you go to the rap world, which I am not an expert in by any stretch of the imagination by saying this, but uh, there's a rapper named Eminem who you've probably heard of who recently had an album come out and the, the main song on it is called Walk on Water and it has Beyonce in it, if you know who she is, and she has this loop she keeps singing where uh, she says, I walk on water, but I ain't no Jesus. I walk on water, but only when it freezes. That's the lyri- That's the main lyrics to this song. Uh, so, I mean, it is all over the place uh, in all sorts of different domains. There's this familiarity with Jesus and with him in particular walking on water. It's a very well-known miracle. But I think one of the things we need to be careful of when there's stories like that in the Bible that people all over, and including us, become so familiar with, one of the things we need to do is to make sure we actually go back to actually read what's written in the Bible about it. Because sometimes those stories can pick up freight and add on things or details and nuances that, that aren't really part of it. And it's good to just go back and see what was actually written, what actually was inspired by the Spirit and recorded for us uh, about these stories. Because this is true. Eminem is not a trustworthy source on this. Uh, neither are scientists. So, um, but, but John was and the Holy Spirit is. And so... Now, we're going to read this together in just a minute, John 6, 16 through 21. But before we do, just in case you haven't been here or haven't, um, I want to make sure you're up to speed on where we are in this story. This is a record of Jesus' life. And this, is, this story takes place about one year, almost to the date, um, before he goes to Jerusalem to be crucified and raised from the dead. This, is, this happens at the Passover, the festival of the Jews, one year before 
of the Passover where he'd be crucified down in Jerusalem. So it's getting towards the end of Jesus' life. And what immediately happened before this, if you were here last week, we saw was another miracle where Jesus had fed the, we call it the feeding of the 5,000. There was 5,000 men and then probably additional women and children that had assembled. And Jesus fed them all from essentially nothing. Uh, fed them uh, to their fill. And they're on the, the, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee at this time. And uh, what we're going to read now uh, is going to follow after what happened at the end of that story. Because at the end of that story, you saw that the crowd that had just eaten all this stuff from Jesus and saw his power, they wanted to take him down to Jerusalem and install him as king. And Jesus said, no, I don't want that. That's not how my kingdom is coming. And so Jesus, if you were here last week, you saw in verse 15 that Jesus withdrew from them and went up on the mountain by himself. That's where we ended last week was he was on the mountain by himself. And then this story is going to be what follows after that. Uh, We're going to read in verse 16 down through verse 21 of John chapter 6. And so think about this. This happens the same day, uh, the same night, okay? If you can place yourself chronologically into the same night that Jesus just fed the 5,000, this happens. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, there is uh, much that we could say about this. Uh, There's two other gospel writers who write about this. Uh, Matthew and Mark both record longer versions of this. John is just really to the point here. Usually he's the one that elaborates. Uh, This story, he just uh, is really to the point, really short and sweet. But uh, there's much that we could say from this. But the main point that I want to emphasize today, and I think that we see even in this short text, is this. I'd say it this way, is that the same Jesus who can strike fear in us can calm fear in us the same jesus who can strike fear in us can calm fear in us and so we're going to see in this story i'm going to phrase it in sort of three little stages of this story and what happens and i tried to make them rhyme uh once in a while that's nice that uh that that helps us to remember a little bit but i'm going to talk about jesus nearing so jesus nearing the boat the disciples fearing And then the disciples hearing. What did they actually hear Jesus say to them? Those are sort of how we're going to unfold this story. Uh, Jesus nearing, the disciples fearing, and the disciples hearing. And so first I want to just make sure we understand what is actually happening, what the scene is, what's going on, and talk about Jesus nearing this boat. Because this is quite an amazing thing. If you really really understand what is taking place, it is absolutely remarkable. So this, if you remember, if you were here last week, you remember, and I already mentioned it, that uh, if you look back in verse 4, uh, this was happening at the time of Passover. This was that time of year where they set aside a few days, a week even, to celebrate Passover. And it was a holiday that they would remember every year of where God had rescued them as the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt, where he had rescued them. And if you remember what happened back then, or uh, if you don't remember, I'll, I'll tell you. what One of the main things God did when he rescued them 
was this miraculous thing where he had brought them up to the edge of the Red Sea. Do you remember this? And there's all these warriors coming behind them from Egypt. And what does God do? He miraculously parted the waters and let God's people, let his people walk through on dry land and then swept those waters back over the warriors who were chasing them. And so this was every year they would remember this day, this time where God had rescued his people through water, where God had done this miraculous thing involving water that had never been seen or experienced before. And on this same weekend, Passover weekend, Jesus is going to walk on water. He's going to do another miracle involving water, but this is going to be something nobody's done before. There was a couple of times in the Old Testament where people had parted waters of the Jordan River or other places, and uh, God had done that, but nobody has been recorded in Scripture of walking upon the water. But that's what Jesus is going to do at this time of Passover with his disciples. And he had just done this very public miracle with thousands and thousands of people uh, their eyes seeing it and their mouths tasting the bread and the fish uh, that he had multiplied. But now it's going to be a very small audience, so to speak, if you want to call it that. It's just going to be his core disciples who are in this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. No cameras, no uh, people surrounding. He, ju- he just wanted them to see it. And this happens on the Sea of Galilee. They had been on the eastern side, maybe the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And now they're going over to the city of Capernaum, John records for us, which would have been more on the west, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And they they get on a boat to go over there. And this is a large sea. I've never been there. I would love to go someday. But the the biggest lake around here is probably Wawasee, from what I've heard. It's about five square miles uh, the Sea of Galilee is 64 square miles. It is it's big. It, it's not some little pond that Jesus somehow figured out how to walk across. This is a major body of water that is 10 times bigger than any lake that we have around here. And what happens is uh, the evening comes. The disciples, they are down at the sea, and they get in a boat now, and they start across this sea. And they, John records that it's dark for us. And then verse 18 says that the sea became rough, because a strong wind was blowing. So we're not given a lot of detail, but I think that was common from everything I read and still is even today for these storms to just whip up at the Sea of Galilee, some because of elevation and things like that. But one of those whips up while his disciples are seeking to make their way over to Capernaum, and it's in the middle of the night, and they've gone maybe three or four miles out into the sea, maybe even drifting some out into the middle of the sea, and it seems like the wind is against them. And I love how John throws in this detail that Jesus had not yet come to them. I I love that little detail. Like he he had not yet come to them uh, in verse 17, but he's about to. Uh, But they've rowed about three or four miles, and then they see Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. I want to point out a couple of things here. One, uh, we'll talk about the actually walking on water in just a second, but... Jesus did this on purpose. Like he's, I, if we read back in the feeding of the 5,000, he had, it, John had recorded that Jesus knew what he was going to do uh, even before he had all the people sit down and broke the bread. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do here as well. That As he had his disciples go out into the uh, sea and, and had chosen to not be with them when they did and to be up on this mountain, I think he knew that a storm was going to come. Mark even says that Jesus saw them even from the mountain uh, as he was praying that he could see them out on the sea. And then he, out of this entire sea, he didn't just happen to walk right by their boat. 
Like he knew right where they were. He, he knew where he was going. He knew where he was heading. Uh, he knew exactly what he was going to do. And it's not as if he was just praying up on the mountain and lost track of time. Like, oh, man, where'd my disciples go? I better go figure this out. I think he wanted from the get-go for them to be out, be in the middle of the sea, be in the dark, be alone, have the storm come. And he wanted to come to their boat. He wanted to come near to their boat, and he wanted them to see him. He was very intentional about this uh, coming out. And he is walking on the water to do so. This was not some sort of magic trick. This wasn't some sort of clever uh, stunt that he pulled to, to trick them. Some people try to argue nonsense stuff. Like he was walking along the edge of this, the, the coast and they just didn't realize how close they were to the sea. That would not impress people. And John would not record that as a miracle in God's word. He was walking on the waves that were blowing, these big waves. He was walking on top of them. This was his demonstration, at least in part, of his power over nature. Uh, That he had done other things, but this in particular is is demonstrating his power over nature because in the ancient world, uh, the sea, the ocean, these open waters were viewed as this source of chaos, this place of chaos where where, uh, there was this uncontrollable forces and beings and things that we could not do anything as human beings to tame, to control, and Jesus walks out on top of the waves. And he has shown, I'm, once again, as he continues to do, I am in control of everything. Even the sea that you think is the symbol of chaos, I'm in control of it, and I can walk on top of it. And he's walking out to them. And so we, we see him nearing the boat in this miraculous way. No magic involved, no uh, special effects involved, no computer graphics. This is really happening. Jesus is walking out on the water. And we might think that his disciples, if we've never read the story, that they'd be excited for him to come to them, that they'd be really glad in that situation that, that, uh, that he's coming to them, but they're not. Uh, they, they're frightened, they're, John says in verse 19, they're frightened. And I want you to think about this. This is under the second section that I've called Disciples Fearing. I want you to put yourself in that boat with them and imagine what they were experiencing for just a moment. This, John says that it was dark, verse 17, right? That this is nighttime, evening had come. says that they'd been uh, rowing. I'll talk about that in just a second. But they'd been rowing for several miles. It is dark. When we watch movies, okay, that we may watch movies where I don't like watching stuff. I don't like being out on open water, true confession. I definitely don't like watching movies where there's storms, and it just makes me almost seasick watching it. But even in those, there's lighting and things on these sets or computer graphics. They light it on purpose so you can actually see what's happening, right? But this is the ancient world where when they say it's dark, the, at most the light that they have would have been coming from the moon. But if it's a storm, I imagine in my mind that there's clouds that it's probably very, very dark out on the sea. And they don't have like these bright, uh, like bright spotlights that back then that they can just pop out when they see this being coming at them and say, what is that? And see what's coming at them. They are in the dark and they are tired. They've been rowing for miles, probably several hours, the other gospel writers say. For us, they've been rowing. They're tired. They had just, this is the same day, they had just helped Jesus feed thousands of people, right? And they were the ones who had passed around the baskets and had collected up. And then now, at the end of that day, they're working more. It's like an overtime shift. They're out in the middle of the sea, in the dark. There's waves, big waves. And then the main thing 
they see a human being walking on top of water in the middle of the Sea of Galilee towards their boat. Can you imagine what that would be like? Like, this would be the time in a movie I'd be closing my kids' eyes or I would be closing my own eyes, like, expecting what is going to happen here. This is not going to end well uh, with this being coming out towards them. And these guys, they'd been starting to see supernatural things happen, right? They had just seen hours before Jesus feed thousands of people. They had seen him heal people. They had seen him do these miracles. And their eyes are being opened to the fact that there is a supernatural world that is true and real, and that when they see this being coming towards them, they are afraid of what it might be. And I want you to, to note here what they are afraid of. Because, and this is where I say I think it's important for us to read this story as it is recorded for us. Because I think sometimes we get stories about Jesus kind of mixed up with each other, and we kind of mash them together. There's stories in the Gospels that are different from this one. that are very well-known stories, where Jesus was, do you remember this story, asleep on a boat with his disciples in the middle of a storm? And his disciples in that story are scared of the storm. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid that their boat's going to get tipped over. They're afraid, it seems like there's some sort of weightiness to this storm, that they are afraid of the storm. But in this story, that is, and you can read it in the other accounts too, in Matthew and Mark, it's consistent across all of them. What they are afraid of in this story is Jesus. That's what they're afraid of. It, it's not the storm. Like what it, it says that they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So what, it, what scares them is this being that's coming towards them. And they don't realize it's Jesus yet. They don't know it's him yet. But they see this human being or a human being-ish figure coming towards them on the sea. And they are scared of it. So they, this was not the first time they've been, I would guess, out on the Sea of Galilee or other places in a boat during a storm. Like, that may have been somewhat normal for them. And they've been rowing for three or four hours, okay, in the midst of the storm. They haven't been terrified of the storm. What terrifies them is this human being walking on water towards them. That is what scares them. And they were likely, I imagine this too, they're likely shouting at him, not realizing it's Jesus saying, stay away from us. They're yelling with equivalent, cultural equivalent, I don't know, like, keep away from us. Like, whoever you are, whatever you are, we don't want you to stay away from us. And they're assuming that it's evil. They're assuming it's some sort of ghost, some sort of apparition. Sometimes people use the word, like, that it's coming near to them to harm them. And what they're afraid of is Jesus. And what is really weird about this is that it seems like Jesus wanted them to be afraid of him. Like, he set this up. Like, he had them go out into the sea, and he waited on the mountain. And he knew, I think he knew there was going to be a storm. He, he could, he was walking on water. Like, he could have come and just, like that basilisk lizard, like, just got there real fast and just been right on the boat with them and said, hey, guys, I'm here, it's fine. He slowly, think, I'm serious, like, think about this. He is slowly I think, walking toward them on the water. And let, he's not yelling out yet who he is. Or that he wants them, I think, to be afraid. He wants them to be afraid of him. 
And there's many times in the Bible that we hear and read the concept of fearing God. And often what it means is this idea of reverence and respect and awe, uh, admiration for God, this, this deep, deep reverence for him. But I think here, when John, I know when John writes this and says they were frightened, that fear is scared fear. They had this scared, this scary fear of Jesus. They did not realize it was him, but nonetheless, they had a fear of Jesus. And if we think about this, this is not necessarily an inappropriate response to Jesus, right? Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus had, and he was demonstrating even in this miracle, the power to do anything. There was nothing that he could not do. And if you stop and think about I have sinned against him. I have done immense wrong, a lifetime full of sin against him. And you stop and think about those two things in conjunction with one another, that he could destroy me and it would be nothing to him. That would be an easy task as far as ability or strength or power-wise for him to do. And I have offended him greatly. Like there's a sense in which we ought to have initially, but not stay there, a fear of Jesus. Like a scared fear of Jesus, that he could judge me, he could crush me, and I, it would be totally okay for him to do in a legal sense. Like he could do that for me. And it, it's not an inappropriate thing. And I think actually there is a, a, a deeper sense of an appreciation of his mercy, of his love for us, when we do start with the fear of him. When we, if we just take for granted, oh, he loves me, of course he loves me. Like We don't appreciate mercy and forgiveness. But when we see Jesus and we realize he could judge me, he could crush me, and he has every right to, and it would be simple for him. But then we hear him say things like, don't be afraid. Like, I want you. I will receive you. I will forgive you. That sinks much deeper. If, if we started with a, a healthy sense of fear and scaredness before him, but we realize that he will actually receive us. And what changes in the story is not when they see Jesus, they saw him from a ways out, but when the change comes is when what uh, this section is called the disciples hearing. Because they see him, but it's when they hear his voice. It's when they hear the words come out of his mouth across that sea to their boat. That is when peace comes to them. That is when calm comes to them, isn't it, in this story. When Jesus, in verse 20, says to them, It is I, do not be afraid. I want you to think about the relief that would have come into their hearts when those words came into their ears, okay? First of all, they just heard that it was his voice. You know how when you pick up a phone and you just know somebody's voice? When they, they didn't know what this being was, who it was, but when they hear those words come to their ears, they instantly know that's Jesus' voice. And so I think there would have been this instant calm uh, that came over them when they hear, especially, and say, guys, it's me. Like, I think there would have been this calm that came over them. Uh, this is a really neat phrase, this, where he says, it is I. You could equally translate that to say, I am. It's a phrase that, it's a name of God uh, in the Old Testament that he used to reveal himself. And I think John is setting up some, a lot of statements to come in the rest of John, where Jesus over and over is going to say, I am such and such. I am the bread that came from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, and he, he fills out all these things describing himself. But here he just says, 
I am. It's me. Like, guys, it's me. And then he says, you don't need to be afraid. I, I think about this. I was thinking of an illustration of how this maybe would have been such a quick turn in their hearts. I, at our house, uh, sometimes with a, a baby recently and whatnot, we'll, in the middle of the night, try to kind of rearrange sleeping arrangements. Like, sometimes I'll end up on the couch or something like that. And there's this weird thing that can happen uh, where, in the, and maybe you deal with this in your dorm or in home or wherever, but in the middle of the night when it's dark, and maybe in the middle of the night people have rearranged sleeping arrangements for whatever reason, and you're expecting them to normally be in this place, but they're actually in this place, but you don't know that, and you bump into them in the middle of the night, or you see them there, and you are freaked out. Like, who is this person, and what are they doing here? That has happened before in our house. Uh, But think about the quick turn that happens when the same person that's freaked you out, that's frightened you, you hear them say, hey, it's me. And even in the dark, you know who it is, and instantly you feel calm. And if it's your mom or dad, you especially feel even more calm. Like, oh, whew, like goodness, uh, thank goodness, thank God, literally, that it's you. And there's this thing that that person was the one who struck fear in you. But their words can quickly reassure you and calm your heart. And that's what Jesus does here. He is the one striking fear in them. But as he speaks, he's the one that calms them. And when he says, it is me, do not be afraid. Remember, he's not telling them, don't be afraid of the storm. Because they're not afraid of the storm. He's saying, don't be afraid of me. Like, it is me. Do not be afraid of me. And the effect that it has on them is remarkable. They go from end of verse 19 saying they were frightened, probably wishing Jesus to stay away, to the start of verse 21. It says they were glad to take him into the boat. And so their attitude shifts. They're wanting to receive him. They're wanting to have him come into their boat now because he has said, it's me, do not be afraid. And we ought to be people, if we are followers of Jesus, who are grateful that that's how he relates to us. The, the, the same Jesus who could crush us, who could judge us, he wants that, that we should in some sense be afraid of. He speaks to us and says, do not be afraid of me. Like, do not be afraid of me. In the time that remains, I want to think through a few times or or reasons that we even today can be afraid of God, that we can be afraid of Jesus. There will be some overlap here with these men, but times and places and ways that we become fearful of God and how he can speak peace into us. The same one that we are fearful of can calm uh, I've mentioned three. One of the reasons that we uh, can fear Christ, that we can fear God, is, I would say, our ignorance. That we just don't know much about him. That we, we are coming maybe just knowing little tidbits that we've known growing up or that we've just kind of guessed about God. We, we don't have a whole lot of information about him, uh, but we just kind of assume some things and we piece together some things in our mind. And just like these disciples, they're kind of, squinting out into the distance trying to see they know it's kind of like a human uh they they know that it looks like it's walking they kind of have these little pieces of data but they don't see the full picture they they are ignorant in the the literal sense of the word they don't know much about this jesus that's coming to him 
And that can be true of us in a, in a sense in our life, that we just don't know much about Jesus. We don't know much about him, but the little bits that we do, we've been kind of scared of him. We, there's been things we've heard about him. There's been uh, things people have told us about him, or maybe things we learned about him when we were a kid that aren't really a full picture of him, and we just know a little bit, but it's enough to scare us and say, I don't want to be with him. I don't want any part of that. I, I've seen that a little bit, and I don't want him. And if, if ignorance is causing us to be afraid of him and say, stay away, Jesus, I don't want you in my life, I don't want you near me, the, the, the cure to that, the answer to that, is to actually try to hear from him. These disciples, what changed in them is when they actually heard the word of Jesus. They actually heard his message come to them. That's what changed their heart. While they were still ignorant, they were afraid and saying, stay away, stay away, stay away. But when they heard even small doses of this truth from Jesus, this voice of Jesus, the word of Jesus coming to them, that's what ultimately led them to a change of heart and say, we want you in our boat. And if that is you or you know people who are fearful of Jesus, but it's out of ignorance, What you need to do is to get the word of God, the word about Christ into your mind, into your heart. Hear more about what he's like. Read this book. Like let other people teach you about it and read it with you. Read through one of the gospels together. Get more information about Jesus, but get it from the Bible. And as you do, I trust that God by his spirit will change your heart to where you see, I don't need to be fearful of Jesus. I can actually draw near to him. So there's a sense in which we fear God because of our ignorance of him. But a maybe scarier thing and a deeper reason is what if we do start to learn about him? We do start to read. We do start to hear things taught and we are scared even more because that happens at times and maybe it's happened in some of your lives. And that isn't just ignorance that leads to fear. It is our sin or our shame over our sin that leads to fear of God. That's a legitimate thing I felt in my life for a long time. That the, that the more I learned about Jesus, the more I learned about God, I actually felt more scared of him. Because I was starting to realize, man, he has, has so much that he calls me to do and be and believe, and I do not meet up to that. I do not match that, but he's a holy God, and he can't uh, just uh, just blow past that and look past that. He takes it serious, and I would feel afraid of him. Because I knew there was a hell. I knew that he hated sin, and I knew I was a sinner. And those things started to loom large in my mind, and I started to feel afraid of him. I I would lay awake at night afraid he was going to judge me, even as I'm trying to live my life for him. I'm seeking to, to pray and to do all these things. I was afraid that he would reject me, that he would crush me, that he would send me to hell. And it was my sin and my shame over my sin that was leading me to fear him. And in a sense, that's a good place to be at first, initially, because I was realizing, and maybe you've realized, the weight of your sin, the power of Jesus, his, the, the reality that he could judge you if you were just left to yourself. But what, just like Jesus didn't come up to the boat and just stay at a distance and say, I just want you to stay afraid of me, Like he actually continued to speak and come close to them so that their fears could be relieved. Jesus does not want us to stay at that point of shame over our sin and fear toward him because of it. He wants us to continue to learn of him and to hear that he has dealt with our sin on the cross. 
that the very sin I'm so afraid he's going to judge me for, he's already judged Christ for. He's already put the full weight of my punishment upon his son, Jesus, so that I might be forgiven. And I need to tell my soul that over and over and over and over again and say, the fear that I have does not need to be there anymore because Christ has already suffered in my place. And Christ wants to push us past fear, through it, to where we see he will receive us, that he will forgive us if we place our trust in him. There's passages that we should get in our mind, words of Jesus that we should hear, like Romans 8, 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if we are trusting in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection, we do not need to fear that God's going to condemn us. We ought to have confidence he'll receive us. And he already has received us. So we can fear God out of our ignorance. We can fear God out of our sin. But also the last thing I would say is that we can sometimes fear God because of our suffering. The things that we're going through in our lives can sometimes lead us, even in ways we didn't expect, to be afraid of God. To to start to distance ourselves from Him and, and think, I don't know that I want a God like that. We can get, just like these disciples, they're in a literal storm, but we can get into places in our life that are dark. Places in our life where we've been rowing hard, or we've been praying hard, we've been seeking the Lord's help in certain things, and it just seems like He's not doing what we think is the best in this circumstance. He's not alleviating this thing. He's not providing this thing. He's just letting stuff, hard things happen to me over and over and over again, and we have these waves come up in our life. And it can be tempting for us to look at the same Jesus that we have loved maybe even for so long and start to think, man, I don't, I don't even know what to think of you anymore. Like, I, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. Like, I, I'm afraid that you're not even for me anymore. Like, I'm afraid that you've rejected me and I can't even come close to you. These disciples in this boat, they loved Jesus, didn't they? They were giving their lives to be with him. They'd been with him for a couple years already at this point. And the same Jesus they loved, they are yelling at from a boat saying, stay away from us. Like we can get to a same place. It can get to this ugly, unexpected place where we tell Jesus who we love, stay away from me. Like I don't even know that I want you anymore. I'm afraid of you and what you're doing. I was thinking this morning of how badly we need to have the words of Jesus then continue to speak to us when we're going to be tempted to silence him, when we're going to be tempted to walk away from him or be afraid of him and recoil from him. How badly in those moments do we need the words of Jesus to come? I am a crying person. Some of you are not criers, which I admire you and respect you deeply. But I was thinking about when we cry, when we get into these circumstances where things just are so messed up, or so broken, we're so sad, or we're so depressed. You guys know the experience, most of you do, I trust, of when you're crying, and there's tears in your eyes, and you just cannot see, right? Like, they're, they're just so filled up with water that you just got to continually blot them. And, uh, like, there, there comes a time when we are suffering, when we're sad, when, we're, when we are just sorrowful, where we literally aren't seeing, right? Even if it's just for a moment out of our eyes because of the sadness and the the grief that we're in. But you know what continues to work just fine when you're crying? Is your ears. 
Like, and when you are in a stage of life where you are just broken and you're fearful of God and you're wondering what he's up to and why he's doing these things and you're broken over it and you're even maybe afraid of him, you need to open your ears and let God's word continue to speak to you. Because you might be disoriented. You might see him wrongly. You might confuse the circumstances of your life. But he will speak clearly to you over and over and over again by his word. You need to hear passages like, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has said that. That is true. You need to hear passages like where he says, just ten chapters later here, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You need to read and hear passages like the end of Matthew 28 where Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like you need to get God's word into your mind and into your heart because that is what's going to give you the reminder that you need not fear him, that you can draw near to him, that you can come to him as a God who loves you even when he's letting storms come, even when he's keeping you in them, that he loves you and is for you. We ought to be people who are grateful that we have the Holy Spirit, that, that these men had Christ in the boat with them eventually. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts with us as we go through the storms of life, as we go through these difficulties. We have God's Spirit, the very presence of Christ within us constantly and permanently, and He wants to remind us of these things when we're tempted to believe otherwise, that we do not need to fear God thinking of uh, in closing the song amazing grace and there's a, a simple there's simple lyrics in it but some of them are very profound and maybe you've sang many times and haven't even thought a lot about before but there's one line where uh, we sing this we sing "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved we love that second part that grace relieved my fear have you ever thought about what that first line says? That it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Like Jesus wanted these disciples to be afraid, at least temporarily, of him. And it is a gracious thing of God when he opens our eyes to see, man, left to myself, I should be afraid of him. Like I have no right to come to him. I ought to be afraid of him. That's an act of grace that God has opened your eyes to see that. But it is a further act of grace when he relieves those fears. When he, he shows you the cross of Jesus and says, my son died for you and he's been raised for you. Come to me, I will receive you. I will forgive you if you place your trust in him. That is a deeper act of grace for God. Um, but both of them are acts of grace. Him giving you a fear of him and then him relieving that fear as you look to Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us and leave you with a word of benediction. Father, thank you for showing kindness and mercy to us. Thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve, but showing us mercy, people who should be afraid of you. Thank you for inviting us and giving us confidence. Thank you for uh, relieving those fears because of your son, Jesus. I pray that we may live in light of that in this week. I pray this in his name. I want to leave you with this simple benediction from the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Paul wrote this. He said, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
And may, you, may that be true of us this week, and may you live with confidence uh, that you don't need to be afraid of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You're all dismissed. Thanks for worshiping with us.